All right, so if everybody, you heard the preface last week to the message that we're just kind of in this whole series, we're just going straight for things. Is that all right with everybody? And so uh, I'm going to be your pastor today. That's the last time I'm going to say that. And then I just need you to like lean in with me. Uh, feel free. We're a talk back church around here. So uh, preach back at the preacher. I go faster if you do that. And then uh, that's actually not true at all. Um, I'm long-winded, let's be honest. Um, Mark chapter four, verse 26 through to 32. And all of our first time guests, it's so good to have you today. Uh, if you're kicking the tires on faith, welcome to the well. If you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, welcome to the well. You're gonna hear some things today that are, um, that are kind of family oriented today. And so I just wanna encourage you, lean back or lean forward, however you wanna do it. And uh, you can hear the heart and, and, and the posture of, of this house uh, known as the well. Mark chapter four, verses 26 through 32 says this. The kingdom of God is like this. He said, a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces crop by itself, first the blade and then the head and then the full grain on the head. And as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? So he said, this is what the kingdom of God is like, all right, in the first portion, or what parable can we use to describe it? Now, now he's gonna describe the kingdom of God. He says, it's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Today, as we continue on in our series, Put It in the Dirt, I wanna to speak to you from this subject today. Here's the, here's the title of today's message. I didn't see it there. I didn't see it there. As we deal with the kingdom of God being something that we don't always recognize because it doesn't look the way that we want it to look. Will you pray with me just one more time today? We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, I pray that your word would come alive to us today. <clears throat> and God, I, I pray today that I can be moved out of the way, that I would speak with boldness and conviction as we talk about your kingdom and what is taking place within it. In Jesus' mighty name, come on in the church shouted. Amen. And the church shouted. Amen. How many of you have heard this phrase in your house before? I didn't see it there. Show of hands, come on. How many, come on. Um, husbands, let's be honest. How many of you have said that before? I didn't see it there. Um, wives, how many of you have judged your husband because of that statement? Okay. Um, parents, how many times have you found something when your kids said, I didn't see it there, right? Uh, it, it's a statement that frequently happens in, in our house. I, I didn't see it there. I, I say it quite a bit. My, my kids say it quite a bit. And usually my wife is saying it's been there the whole time. Um, why didn't you see it? How many of you agree with me? We often miss what's right in front of us. And I, I don't think it's a, it's a husband problem or a guy problem or a kid problem or a home problem. I actually think it's a human problem. We have a tendency to miss what is right in front of us. We, we have a tendency to miss the gold that's right in front of us. Come on, somebody. I think if I can speak from my position as a person who is married right now, I would say that often one of the, one of the greatest issues that marriages face is not that the marriage is, is old or breaking down, but often we just miss what's right in front of us. Come on, somebody. Like it's really, it's really easy to just pass through, through, the, through the hallway of, of your home or just hop into bed and, and, and lean over and, and look at our phones or you miss what's in front of you a lot of times. And I think that's what happens, especially when it comes to the church, is that we have a tendency to miss what the kingdom is doing. Because it doesn't often look the way that we want it to look. We tend to miss the things that are right in front of us because they are not exactly what we are looking for. No, do, nor do they grab our attention the way that we want them to. I mean, think about it. Keys are important, yet we lose them in plain sight. Our wallet is really important, yet again, we lose it in plain sight. I've lost my car in the parking lot. Come on, can I get an amen in church today? Where did I put that thing? How many times have you stumbled over something only to say I didn't see it there? All right? Here's the truth that I've come to realize concerning the kingdom of God is often there's more going on than I realize. And if I'm not careful, I can miss it because it doesn't look the way that I thought it would. The theologian Jonathan Edwards said it like this, the seeking of the kingdom of God is the chief business of the Christian life. 
And that's why Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to, 11, uh, 3 to 11 were so jarring for those hearing his sermon on the mount. Listen to what he said. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I feel like the problem though is, is that in our 21st century online world, we've tried to remake Matthew chapter five and to bluster those with a lot of followers. For you shall have a blue check mark. Blessed are those that are out front all the time because you shall be followed. Blessed are those who look great and have their image together for you shall be an influencer. Blessed are you moms with the Stanley Cup for you shall get free Stanley Cups. That's, I got one too, they're awesome, okay. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna poke around at some of these things today because I, I want you to hear this today. The kingdom of God is very different than we think it is. And we have to come face to face with this. The kingdom of God and, and the stuff in the kingdom, it looks very different than what we think a kingdom should look and act like. Now I wanna say this so that we have right theology concerning this issue and I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess with some of your preconceived ideas of theology. The church is not the kingdom. Right now some of you are like, oh! depending on where your faith background is, it's been taught to you a different way. The church is not the kingdom. The church is a part of the kingdom. It's an initiative of the kingdom. It's something that God is doing amongst other things that he's doing, but he loves his church. Come on, somebody. He said he would build it and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And he loves his church because you are a part of that body and that body is an imperfect body, but all the same, he loves it and he died for it, but the church is not the kingdom. Y'all with me this morning? And why is this important for us to understand? Because we have a tendency to elevate things above the king. We have a tendency to elevate people above the king. Because we as humans, especially in our 21st century, oh, it's getting quiet in church today. Come on, I said preach back at me, right? In our 21st century, we have a paradigm in which we think everything through. It's gotta look a certain way. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a seed, that's hard for us to understand because we would understand it if we said the kingdom of God was like a gigantic building. The kingdom of God was like a Mustang. The kingdom of God is like a Clydesdale. And when it comes roaring through, we wanna jump on it because it's so magnificent and big. It's not the kingdom of God, it's a mustard seed. Tiny and insignificant seeming. Now he said, if it gets sown though, it'll grow and it'll produce branches and the birds of the air can nest. And the Greek word nest there means to take residence, not fly in and fly out, but to find a home and a shelter that is life-giving. Now, the reason that I'm working to show us this because it's very important when it comes to the season that we're in concerning legacy and our generosity. Someone shout generosity. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, we're talking about being generous. Turn back to your neighbor and say, don't say generous, that's a swear word. <laughs> Not here. Here's the reason that I want us to know this and see this about the kingdom. The reason that I'm working to show us this is because generosity should be about devotion before it's about emotion. Let me say it one more time. Generosity should be about devotion before it's about emotion. And my concern is that, especially for the church that's a part of this kingdom, is that we have a tendency to need emotion to drive us to something that we've actually been called to do and be formed in. Every shout generosity. See, it'd be really easy to hire Sarah McLaughlin to sing in the arms of an angel and talk about all the things that we're gonna do in the church. In the arms of an angel. You're like, oh, 
oh, and we're sending Bibles to China. Those are good. How many know Bibles to China and all the other things that we know? Those are good things. But the emotion of good things shouldn't be the driving force behind our generosity. The devotion of kingdom engagement should be the force driving our generosity. And there's a, there's a difference. It's like a marriage. Emotion shouldn't be the driving force behind what I do in our home or what I do for her. Uh-oh. Devotion should be. If you were to ask me, hey, Jason, why don't you, why don't you step out on your, why don't, why don't you step out on your wife? Why, why would you not have an affair? And I said, well, because it's against the rules. How many of you think that's a bad answer? <laughs> I don't cheat on my wife because I'm devoted to her. How many of you would agree with me? There's very, there's something different between devotion and emotion. Come on church, is there anybody in here today? And so we've got to understand this, why? Because we will miss the whole reason for generosity if it's simply something that we just get really hyped about. What we're trying to do here at the well is we're trying to produce a muscle in us that comes from devotion, not emotion. Something that's there because we love what God is doing in his kingdom, what he's doing through his church and what he's doing in people. So we have to come face to face with who we are devoted to because our devotion should be what shapes our giving and generosity. We have to ask ourselves both individually and collectively if we are devoted to ourselves or if we are devoted to the kingdom. Now, I know for some of us, this is our first time being here today and you're like, oh, of course, I would step in on the day that they're talking about money. I would just call you to our YouTube. You can get all of the message. We don't talk about this all the time, but we are in a season, we are getting ready to give in our legacy offering for the advancement of God's kingdom. Come on, somebody. See, if we're devoted to ourselves, then generosity becomes about what we feel. And if I'm devoted to the kingdom, the generosity becomes about what we are a part of. And so when it comes to giving, let's talk about it for a few minutes. There are two places that we give from. First is that we give from a place of obedience. I know it's a wonderful word. This is tithing. This is a place that many of us here at the well do. And we do it with obedience and we, and we do it graciously and, and we do it consistently. But not all of us here do it. Now let's be clear about a very, like some, some really important things, a couple of things that we need to be clear about concerning tithing. Here's the first one. Tithing is a biblical principle in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some people like to argue that tithing was done away with in the New Testament. And this is simply put, not true. It's something that falls into the category of Christian maturity and formation and obedience. And this, like many other things, God blesses and works through. This is really important for us to understand because there's a lot of argument concerning this issue. And we, we try to justify my lack of engagement in obedience because we say it was done, with in, done away with in the New Testament. And that's not true. And in the Old Testament, you see tithing before the law was ever instituted. Why? Because there's a formative issue in tithing. When I tithe, God is working on my heart, not my wallet. Right. Yes, right. This is the part of the service where there's not as many amens. <laughs> so tithing is a biblical principle in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here's another one, really important for us to understand. Tithing is not required for salvation. Every shout not. not. Every shout not. Tithing is not required for salvation. There's only one thing required for salvation and his name is Jesus. He is the gift that when we receive him, we are saved. Come on, somebody. We have eternity in heaven with him. You can't produce it. I can't buy it. We can't find it on a shelf somewhere. Come on, somebody. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. No amount of good works will get you there. No amount of behaviors will get you there. Tithing is not required for salvation. And this is something that often people think concerning tithing. This isn't a salvation issue, meaning that tithing does not make you a Christian. And you could argue coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. And praying doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. And worshiping doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. But biblically, we would see that Christians do these things. Christians worship, Christians pray, Christians read their Bible, Christians serve, Christians don't murder people. Like it's all in the... How many of you are thankful for that one, right? 
But it's not required for salvation. This is important for us to understand. It's not a performance that we do because once again, it's, a, it's an obedience issue. It's a hard issue. Here's the third thing. Tithing is proportionate. Tithe literally means a tenth. That's the definition of tithe. And that tenth looks very different for everyone as it is in proportion to what we bring in. And that means that the tithe is not about a number. It's about obedience and the desire to trust God in this area, the area of finance in my life. So someone who makes 40,000 a year, their tithe will look different than someone who makes $250,000 a year. And that is why the tithe really highlights for us the issue of obedience, not a number. Y'all with me still? See, there's a great deal of us in here today that need to begin the journey of tithing, learning to trust God in obedience in this area of our lives with this portion of our research and engage in the faith building formation of giving in our lives. I can't, I can't think of another way that forms us to the degree that it does, except by engaging in this thing. Because there's something, come on, how many of you agree with that? There's something about money and resource that has a hold on our hearts. It's hard. And so we've got we to work in this area. This year here at the well, this is a year, the vision for 2023 is, is all about spiritual formation. And, and this is part of the journey. This actually forms us in great ways. And so maybe this year, it's something that you step into for the legacy offering. Maybe you're not ready to give in our legacy offering. The next step that you need to take is to engage in obedience in this area. We'll talk about that more in the, in the coming weeks. I wanna say this pointedly and very clear so we're all aware of this. Erica and I tithe. Thank you, Tab. <laughs> we were, we, we've been tithing since we were young and had jobs. She's been tithing since her first job at Subway. I remember when she smelled like bread and she tithed. That's why I married her. I like carbs and obedience and so. Not to me, that joke count, that, that came out strange. That came out strange. Somebody's gonna put that on the internet and I'm gonna get roasted for it. That's not what I meant. <laughs> and they're gone. <laughs> I can tell you as both a pastor and as a Christ follower that we have seen God do the miraculous in our lives as we have lived this area out in our faith formation and obedience. So our, our staff, our team does it. Why? Because they, they have to. <laughs> because they can't lead something that they don't themselves give themselves to. It's obedience. That's why they have to, not for any other reason. I say that because sometimes I think there's a perspective about things like, oh, that's just something pastors say. Listen, I, can I just tell you something? I wish, Howie and I were talking about this the other day. Sometimes we wish we could remove the title because the title plants the information. Can I just tell you that Eric and I do not tithe because we're pastors or because we lead a church. It's because we're followers of Jesus. Like at the end of the day. And I, I will tell you this, I'm a follower of a Jesus before I am anything else. My title doesn't make me follow Jesus. The one who got on a cross, was buried, rose three days later and ascended to heaven. The reason we took communion this morning, that makes me follow Jesus. Everything else is sub to that. Take the title away, take the stage away, take the church away. Guess what I still am? I am a follower of Jesus. Come on somebody, like that, that's what this thing is about. We'll press into that more in a minute. All right, the second place that we give from is the place of generosity. Tithing is not generosity. That's obedience, okay? And there's some really important things we need to understand about generosity. First one is this, is generosity is the product of faith. Meaning that it's something that we labor in prayer over. So as we get ready to do our legacy offering on March 19th, this is a, is a faith issue. It's something that I hope starting today that you will, I don't care where you're at in life, that you will begin to pray and ask God, where would you call me to be generous? What does that look like? What will that be? Because generosity is the product of faith. You're trusting God with, with this portion and we're saying, hey God, I, I need you to speak to me now. The second thing that we need to understand about generosity is generosity is an act of sacrifice. Meaning that it's above and beyond our normal giving, it stretches us 
And many times it causes us to give up something in order to do it. For some of us, this year's legacy offering will mean a couple weeks away from Starbucks. Come on, somebody. The question is, what grips you? Now, we're not saying be unwise. We're not saying do dumb things. None, none of that stuff. What I'm saying is what grips you and moves you to a sacrificial place where you go, oh, that hurts a little bit. Yeah. Come on. What, what, what makes it so you go, I gotta have some faith in this moment. It's an act of sacrifice. And here's the thing about our culture. Sacrifice is a difficult notion in our day and age. Here's the third thing we need to understand. Generosity should be done with joy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. If you read Corinthians, Paul said, God loves a cheerful, cheerful. I love that word cheerful. It's an alive word. Have you ever met a, when was the last time you said, that's a cheerful person? Come on, show of hands. How many of you know a cheerful person? When you get around them, just cheerful. <laughs> of being around them. My man, Chris, right here, he is a cheerful person. He is joy filled. So I love it. When, 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 like, I'm always looking forward to staff meetings because Chris is going to be there. And I'm going to laugh and he's going to say something wild and out because he's full of joy. That's how God wants us to be generous is that when we like, when we give, it's not begrudgingly as Paul would say, it's not out of emotional, uh, emotional workarounds and, and it's not out of being guilted into something. It's actually, it's because I've got seed in my hand and like the great theologian, the chili peppers, I want to give it away, give it away, give it away now. It's in the Greek. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. So it's either in generosity, they're, they're very, very different. They have different applications. They come from different places. Once again, Eric and I, we give generously here at the well. We are a part of our legacy team as we believe. This is a team that believes they have this gift. Romans talks about this gift where you're somebody who's like, whenever you get a dollar, you're trying to figure out how you can use it to make things move forward faster. So we're called to lead in generosity here by being a part of a team that is focused on putting our personal resources towards kingdom use, fleshed out in the local community known as the well. We are unapologetic about it. We are blessed because of it. And it is a privilege to give above and beyond our tithe in order to be a part of the great work that this church puts its hand to. Okay. It's really important for us to understand this. As your pastor, I'm trying to create the framework for us to operate in as, as, we, as we do this. And we as a church should not get weird about money. This, this side's speaking to me over here. <laughs> as a church, we should not get weird about money. Come on, middle. As a church, we should not get weird about money. Some of you are like, I'm kind of weird about this right now. Um, come on, this side over here. We should not get weird about money. Why? We only get weird about it when it sits at the top of a ladder in our life. But if it sits lower, I don't get weird about it. Because I know what it's for. What to do with it. So... Let's talk, let's talk real around here. A lot of the initiatives uh, out in the lobby for the past few weeks, I don't know if it's out there anymore, but you, you'll find this. This is our legacy magazine. It tells a bunch of stories and in the back it gets us ready for our legacy offering. And there's a lot of the initiatives that we do in here, both locally, nationally, internationally, church planting, and then advancement around here to make everything that God's put in our hearts uh, happen around here and to take care of some of the things that we need to take care of. Um, how many of you would agree with me? Uh, these, these rooms are full right now. You're like elbow to elbow with your neighbor right now. How many of you would agree with me? These rooms are full right now. Uh, shout out to Auditorium 2 right now because I think we got some people in there right now, okay? Um, so somebody came up to me uh, last week. Uh, pretty much this is like a weekly occurrence now. And they're like, when are we getting a bigger building? And I was like, bro, I have no idea. Um, that's about as far as my leadership goes. I'm like, I have no idea. Um, and so this week, as I was thinking about it and praying about it, some of you think I'm gearing up for a grand announcement right now. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> just telling a story. And so I got, a, I got a, uh, an email this week about a property in Draper. And the property had 6.8 acres. Yeah, that's not bad acreage. And it, and it, had, and it had a parking lot, because those are important. 
and it had a 100,000 square foot building on it. And just to like reference, we're probably about 30 here. And so I was like, wow, this, this looks like an opportunity. It had no price on it though. How many of you know that's how they get you? <laughs> so I texted, I texted our real estate agent and I was like, hey, bro, can you look into this building? This, this looks awesome. And I've never seen anything like this on the east side of the valley because there's nothing here. And so he goes, absolutely. And then he sent me a text back. I don't think he'd done his research yet, but he sent me a text back and he's like, yeah, I think I saw that building a while ago. It's $10 million. Okay. Let's faith for a second. That's what I said. But remember what I said last week, numbers look differently to all of us. So he's like, that's 10 million. I think it's $10 million. And I was like, oh my goodness, that like, that's crazy for our Valley. That's crazy right now. And so he's like, let me look into it. 37 seconds later, I get a text message. I lied, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. He's like, that was a different building. <laughs> this one's $27 million. <laughs> Remember that scene from Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> that was that moment. <laughs> Uh, and again, some of us in this room today, we're, we're struggling that we're even talking about this because we have a weird thing with money and we've got to get over it. Yeah. And so I sat there and so then our real estate agent started to school me. And he's like, right now in the state of Utah, especially on the east side of the valley, in, in what's happening here, he's like, you need to settle into the idea that land by itself is about a million dollars an acre. And we have real estate agents in the room who would who would tell me about the same thing. That's for, that's for commercial. And so I started to weep on the inside. Um, <laughs> and that's without a renovation or anything like that. And our church is growing, so we're trying to figure out, like, how, how do we do this? How do we do this thing? And we're taking measured steps. And I say all that to say is, like, this year, for our legacy offering, we are beginning a concerted effort to start really putting money away so that we can plan, strategize, and be put in the position to secure what will be the home for Sandy. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know where it's at. We have, we have dreams. We have prayers. We don't want to leave the east side of the valley, all those different things. But the reason I'm talking this way is because sometimes when you're looking at a $27 million price tag on things and you only got a seed, you don't know how it's possible. Come on, someone shout faith. faith. Now, there may be somebody in here today who's got like, hey, I've got 26 million sitting around and <laughs> I wanna pray with you after service. And so, <laughs> I think I have a word for you. Um, So I read this book recently. It's a book called Bullies and Saints. Stay, stay with me. Um, this is not for the faint of heart because um, what happens is in this book, it talks about both the, the beautiful and the ugly of the church. I'll be the first one to recognize that like, of course, across church history, we've done some ugly, stupid, and unchristlike things. And, that's, and this book argues literally all the way from like 50 AD all the way through. But one of the things that he, he does is he creates an illustration and he says that Jesus sets the melody for the church. That's what Jesus' words do. It sets the melody for the church. And then he uses imperfect people to try to, try to stay on that melody the best that they can. And what happens many times across history is that our imperfection and our humanity causes us to get off note but it doesn't change the melody that was set. So here's the thing. A lot of people are jumping ship on Jesus right now because Christians got off tune. That's nonsense. We need to stop that. We're imperfect. We get off tune all the time, but that doesn't change the tune that the director set. Come on, somebody. Can we just stop and praise Jesus for a second? That he holds perfect tune in all of this. So why do I say that? Well, one of the things that we recognize about the church, this is historical, right? You can look across the whole gamut of it. All across history, one of the greatest muscles of generosity that helped with human flourishing and the advancement of society came from the church. It came from the people of God. 
And then what's interesting is that we have slowly abdicated our responsibility in helping people, advancing the kingdom, being a force in our society as we have abdicated our role in generosity because we got okay with everybody else doing it but us. So he said, oh, the government can do it. When Jesus is like, no, I don't want the government to do it, I want you to do it. What would it look like if the well, now I'm just gonna hype us up for a second. What would it look like if the city of Sandy or Salt Lake or, or Salt Lake County came to us and be like, hey guys, we need a whole other food distribution center for downtown. Do you guys, can you guys help us out with that? And we're like, yeah, we just had our legacy offering. We got some, we got some seeds in the house here. We wanna make that happen. And man, we need another shelter for people so that they, they could get, they can move forward in life and get off the street and be protected. Yes, we got seed, here it goes. And by the way, we also need to get a building so that we can facilitate everything around here. And we have a tendency to go, well, they're all equal. Now, some of us are gonna measure that out in our head right now. I'm like, oh, but the, the, that's your feeling. That's your emotion rather than devotion. We're devoted to it all. So we've got seeds for everything. We've got seeds for sending Bibles to Asia. We've got seeds for helping with food distribution centers and, and people experiencing homelessness. And, and, and we've got people to help single moms. And, and, and we want to redo the entire inside of, a, of an elderly care center. And, and, and we, want to, we want to make sure that people are taken care of when they can't. Man, somebody needs a new car. Let, let's, let's do that. Hey, why don't we take care of paying for the mortgage for a single mom? And, and... One, let's do this. Come on. Come on, is anybody excited about generosity? But this is hard. Why is it hard? Well, that's what my points are about today. I just wanna deal with why this is difficult for many of us. And I hope that these four things that I'm about to share will, will flip our mindsets for a moment. This is not a message about the church wanting your money. If that's your heart posture, can I just tell you this? Please ignore the rest of what I'm gonna say and don't engage in this because that's not what this is about. The heart posture here is so that we can be a church that is a force to be reckoned with in this community. So let's talk about some things. Everybody shout number one. Why is this difficult for us? Well, because the kingdom of God conflicts with our need for immediacy. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain of the head as soon as the crop is ready. So there's a timing issue in here. We want it now, don't we? We pray to God for, for the promotion. God, I want that promotion now. He's like, I need you to learn to stop being late. But God, I gave in the legacy offering. That should circumvent all of it. Come on, am I talking to anybody in church today? This is why many of us lean back when it comes to this issue and this conversation where the kingdom is concerned because the kingdom hardly ever moves in our time frame. I prayed to God one time at the beginning of this church. I prayed that we would see 10, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I prayed for this moment, what's happening here right now in day 15. <laughs> and God said, if I give you now what is stored up for you later, it will kill you. Come on. So there's a reason that God has his timing. And blessing doesn't look the way that we want it to look. So the idea of planting seeds is counter to our fast paced, get it now, enjoy it while you can culture. But the follower of Christ must see things differently. We must see this life with legacy in mind all the time while we are praying your kingdom come. See, some of us in here, we're 22 years old. You're a freshman in college or you fill in the blank or senior, whatever. The, some of you are like a 22 year old freshman. All right, let's go. <laughs> you're in college right now and, and you're, thinking, you're thinking right here with your life. 
When God, hey buddy, will you stand up really quick for me, son? This is, this is my boy, he's 13. Yeah, he's a good looking man. <laughs> Takes after his father, I just, <laughs> <laughs> If you're a 22 year old in here right now, Shiloh, will you stand up? Hannah, will you stand up? Every, every kiddo in here who is uh, 13 years or under, stand up, 13 years or under. Parents, put them up, I want you to see this. We've done this before with different generations. Look at this. Come on, stand up big and high, kiddos. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're like, I'm trying. <laughs> I want you to see this. 22-year-olds. These guys you need to be thinking about now. But sometimes we sit back and we go, oh, that's for the older people in church. No, this is for you. They're the generation behind you. That's why we're pushing this now. If we can't get this stuff into our heart now, if your seed is like, no, nah, I'm just gonna, no, this is, I'm, I'm giving, this is for Hannah. The kingdom of heaven, and I don't know how it's gonna grow. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but this is for Shiloh. I probably could have done this a different way, but <laughs> this is for justice. It's just a seed, you can't see it, and you can't see it in them. Faithlessness is not recognizing what's behind you. Thanks, guys. And all of these other ones standing around right now, they were just front. I didn't want to run to you. So, um, <laughs> but the kingdom of God, it conflicts with our need for immediacy. Number two, Rashad, number two. The kingdom of God conflicts with our desire to live spontaneously. It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil, Mark chapter four, verse 28, the soil produces a crop by itself. First of all, there's, there's, there's production here. There's time. There's, there's growth that takes place. David Livingstone said it like this. I place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept only as by giving or keeping it. I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time or eternity. Paul would say like this in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. There's something in our generation right now that has created the pinnacle of our human existence and the greatest degree that I can flourish is by living flippantly and spontaneously and not caring about anything else that's happening. That's not kingdom. The Bible shows us another way. He says, be wise with how you walk because the time and the days are evil. Yeah. See, when it comes to sowing, we must take notice of the fact that there is a very specific place where we should cast our seed and that is on good soil. Giving our life and time and resource to see that all God has in a generation is the greatest place that we can invest all of those things. This is what it means to live on purpose. Number three, every shot, number three. Here's the third thing. The kingdom of God conflicts with our desire for significance. It's like a mustard seed, Mark 4.31. That when sown upon the soil, it is the smallest, every shout smallest, of all the seeds on the ground. See, here's what we need to realize, that what we are a part of is bigger than the part that I play. What we are a part of is so much more significant than what can ev that we could ever imagine. Leo Tolstoy declared this, the only significance of life consists in helping to establish the kingdom of God. The preacher's commentary put it this way, mustard seed is all risk. It is so insignificant that it's embarrassing. Yet Jesus makes risk and insignificance the essential ingredients for starting projects in the kingdom of God. They go on to say, contrary to all of our secular standards for success, the seed of the gospel also begins with a risk in which the insignificant becomes significant. But here's the problem. We have a tendency to value significance rather than what God wants to do through us in anonymity. When significance is the goal, we try to grow in power. When submission is the goal, we try to grow in service. The reason that we tend to value significance is that we believe that it's what is necessary to have relevance in the world in which we live. We believe that if the currency is significance, then we must, as the church, be stocked up on it. The problem 
is that our battle is not flesh and blood, so we do not play by the rules of the world's standards and measurements. God never asked us to go into all the world and make significant things. He asked us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He asked us to go into all the world and teach people to obey the statutes and the realities of Jesus. Come on, somebody, he didn't ask us to be significant. But that's what many of us want. And so the reason that we hold back is because we want significance. I gave up on significance a long time ago. I used to care about it. I used to want to make a mark in the world. Woo! Come on, you've ever been there before? Maybe you're like, I'm gonna build this business and this idea is gonna change everything. I'm gonna get this degree and I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the world. And, and, and many times if we're honest, it's not because we actually wanna help somebody, it's because we wanna feel like we're significant. I wanna say this as strong as I possibly can. Someone needs to write this down today. Significance is an insecure man's game. I believe that it's our lack of faith in God that causes us to, to hitch the church to other things than God himself. We're running around trying to make a kingdom significant when he said it's not. It's a mustard seed and I'm jacking with some of your theology right now. He said it's a mustard seed that when sown, takes time, you don't see, you trip over it. Oh, I didn't see it there. Oh, I didn't see it there. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't see it there. doesn't look the way that we want it to. We've got to get this. See, we tend to miss the kingdom because it's more steady than significant. We tend to miss the kingdom because it's more humble than significant. We tend to miss the kingdom because it's more ordered than significant. We tend to miss the kingdom because it's more holy than significant. Significance is how the world measures things, but sufficient is how God measures things. We are not playing by the rules of the world, church. I'll go, they're like, hey, Jason, how come you don't post more on social media? I was like, because I hate social media. It causes me to sin in my mind and my heart. As people say dumb things. Honestly, I get weird about it. You can ask our, our media director who does all this stuff. Like, I get weird about it. There's a, there's a balance we strike this. I'm not saying like digital anarchy and just drop everything and like, let's go back to, that's not what I'm talking about. But there's a balance and the balance is not the actionable point. It's what's in here. We're not trying to make the well significant, but sufficiency is what God wants for it. And you and I play a role in that. And he wants us to like a seed be planted in this valley, lest Jesus come back for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, to all the 22 year olds who are supposed to look at the 13 year olds for a few months, they may be leading you one day. And to the 20 year olds in here, you may be leading me one day. Because we're supposed to pass this on. I don't want to be here forever. Come on. We got to give it to you. I want to sit out there and watch you guys throw seeds. And go home and eat a sandwich. You get the point. Last one is this, number four. The kingdom of God moves us towards greater service and ability if the team would come. Mark 4.32, and when sown, it comes up and, and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will be encouraged and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. I'm gonna ask everybody to close your eyes in this moment. Bow your heads. I want you to access the image part of your brain right now. I'm going to tell you a story that happened this week and 
we were praying as a staff. We had a guest in speaking to our staff and just doing some team building stuff. And he started to pray. And we were talking about the idea behind like, why do we do what we do week in and week out? And so as he was praying, he started to articulate a story. And this imagery popped up in my mind as he told the story. And so I'm gonna do it as well. With your eyes closed, I want you to think about this. Last night, Saturday night here in Sandy, Utah, there was a 14 year old girl who gave something away. She didn't intend to necessarily. Maybe it was the context of the situation of her home life. Maybe she was pressured. She's been dealing with low self-esteem and constantly at school hearing people talk about what it would mean. And so quickly following this moment, this young 14 year old girl starts to feel something in her that she has never felt before, a weight of shame and guilt that all but in that moment started to rip her apart. Never before she thought about taking her life, but for some reason after this moment, all of a sudden, these are the thoughts that start popping in her mind. What are people gonna think? What am I, who am I? What did I just do? So she went to bed that night, weeping. And as she laid there, she thought to herself, maybe, maybe that's all I am. Maybe I'm just a commodity to somebody. There's no point for me to be here anymore. And in that moment, she thought to herself, she remembered somebody invited me to that church that's around the corner. So she thought to herself, well, before I do anything else, I'm just gonna give it one more chance. So she came, she walked through the parking lot and she bumped into that crazy guy with the fluorescent vest on and a sign and she laughed because, well, who does signs at church? But then she thought to herself, man, that's the first time I've laughed in a long time. So she kept on walking and she walked past the fire pits and the stuff out on the patio. Oh, that's cool. They've got fire pits so I can be warm. And that's the first time she's felt warmth in a long time. She walked to the door and she was met by that middle-aged lady with a thing around her neck, said, welcome. And that lady smiled at her and grabbed her and gave her a hug. She realized for the first time that was, in a long time, that was a hug that had no strings attached. She walked over to the coffee cart she thought to herself, man, who puts coffee in church? She was greeted by that seasoned great woman who had nothing but joy in her eyes. She was handed a cup of coffee and she heard it so glad to, so glad to have you here. That was the first time she's been seen in a while. She walked into this room and she didn't know what to do with herself, but then the worship started. And upon the first note, she started to weep because she started to experience something she hasn't experienced in a long time. There was joy, there was passion, there was life. And then a guy got up and shouted for 35 minutes and asked everybody to bow their head and close their eyes at the end and asked everybody if they wanted to pray in order to say yes to Jesus to become a Christ follower. In a room of hundreds of people, this little girl shot her hand up as fast as she could. She didn't even necessarily know what she was doing, but she knew what she had found was better than anything that she's ever tasted. And something started to happen on the inside of her. She was becoming new. She decided that day that in all of the pain and all the hurt of her life, she had found something that was so much greater. 
She found purpose. She found hope. She found life. She was stunned when this guy named Jesus would accept her, not because of the things that she has done and not done, but because he simply loves her. And in that day, she was the only one to put up her hand. She walked out of service and as she walked out of service, she saw the sign that said for the one and she thought to herself, oh my God, today was solely about me. All of this was done for me. With your eyes closed, church, I just want you to picture that face. I'm not telling this story for the sake of emotion. I'm telling this story for the sake of purpose because it's that face that should drive everything that we do as a church because that day heaven was fuller as this 14 year old girl said yes to the one that gave his life for her. I want you to picture that face because it's that face that we rise every single day to continue to reach. This is the mission of the kingdom. This is the mission of the church. Some of you sitting in this room, you were that 14 year old girl. And you're here today because of something like this. And some of you sitting in this room were once addicted, but by Jesus, you've been set free. And for some of you in this room today, your marriage was on the verge, but because of the Holy Spirit working, you're, you're gritting it out, holding hands even when you don't want to, and you're moving into everything that God has for you. I don't know what the blank is for you, but this is why we do what we do. Because many times, if we're not careful, we'll miss it because we didn't see it there. In Jesus' name with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around right now. Maybe today you would say, man, Jason, I wanna say yes to that Jesus. We're gonna pray a very simple prayer. If that's you today, I just want you to say it out loud with me. All of us are gonna do it together so we don't leave anybody out, but maybe you'd be saying in this room today, man, Jason, I wanna say yes to this Jesus. I know exactly what you're talking about because I feel like everything's about me today. So come on, would you all repeat this after me? Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past, I'm giving you my right now, and I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.